This is the Mindy and Carl on Money Podcast. Today we're speaking with J.L. Collins, author of The Simple Path to Wealth, Pathfinders, and How I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was Fashionable. Of course we'll talk about his books. We couldn't pass up that opportunity. But unlike last week's episode, we are not talking about his butt. Nope. On this week's episode, we're talking about his new book, Pathfinders, and the lessons he's learned while collecting the stories for and writing about the book. We're also going to talk about the evolution of the FI movement. And working on vacation. The Internet Retirement Police and redefining what work means. If you're a J.L. Collins fan, stay tuned. Since we're talking about books in this episode, today's show is sponsored by books, our favorites to be exact. Go to MindyOnMoney.com slash books to see which books we like and why. That's MindyOnMoney.com slash books. Without further ado, let's bring in J.L. Collins. I'd like to start with a passage from Pathfinders, and this came from one of the contributors, Roman Kashovsky, and he's a Ukrainian still living in Ukraine. So he says this, some risks are much more significant than the economy. Your life and time with your loved ones are much more precious than all the money you will ever earn. Wartime refreshes your perspectives and shifts your priorities. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's a worst case scenario, absolutely, for most people in the world. And we don't even go down that path. We're Instead, we're obsessed with the 4% rule of thumb. Where did that passage come from? Have you met him personally, or did this just come from an email? Well, I have. I have. Roman actually also has a podcast, which I have been on. And so I haven't met him in the real world, but he and I have spent a fair amount of time on, online together. Uh, really impressive guy. And it's an impressive story because, you know, as you point out, he's Ukrainian and he is living in Ukraine. And of course, Ukraine is a country that's at war. It's being invaded uh, by Russia. And not only is he pursuing FI through the simple path to wealth, but he has a podcast that talks about that to other Ukrainians. So there is a there's a community of people doing this. These are people who have had their their assets frozen in the in the country. I mean, you can only buy war bonds in Ukraine now if you're a Ukrainian. It's it's just incredible, and it's such a contrast. You're right to. Uh, here in the United States, when you when you talk to people and you hear the objections of, oh, you know, I I couldn't possibly pursue uh, being financially independent. I why do I have to have these luxury leased cars in my driveway? And I'm like, well, here's a guy. There's countries at war. So it just I love that story because it it illustrates that this really can be done anywhere by anyone. And I've said uh, on other interviews that, you know, if you read Pathfinders, you're taking a, a bit of a risk because once you've read it and you read the stories in it, because Romans is not unique in this in this regard, you're never again going to be able to look in the mirror and honestly say, this can't be done. You will have read too many stories of people facing incredible challenges and doing it successfully. To, to be able to honestly say that. You'll, of course, still be able to say, I choose not to do it. But there's also a story in the book from a guy in Russia, you know, the, the country that, that is a, a pariah 
in the, in the world today because they invaded Ukraine and has incredible economic sanctions leveled against it that, that's making things very difficult for the average Russian. And this guy is figuring out a way to do it. And of course, you know, they're they're both hoping for better times and more peaceful times, but that's when it will pay off. So, yeah, that's just two of the incredible stories that are in the book. And those were, in many ways, the two most unexpected as as the stories came in and, and we were reviewing them to decide which to use and, and what have you. Jail, we spent last week's episode talking more about The Simple Path to Wealth, which is your first book. So it's the book that you're most well known for. But this new book, Pathfinders, is a bit different from Simple Path to Wealth. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of Pathfinders? Yeah, sure. So uh, Pathfinders is a collection of about 100 stories that is organized into nine different sections with my commentary at the beginning of each section. And these stories come from people all over the world, from all different walks of life, all different economic circumstances, who have read The Simple Path to Wealth and who are following the principles in it to build their their own wealth. And I had been hearing these kinds of stories almost from the moment The Simple Path to Wealth was published back in 2016. And they've always fascinated me because the stories that I would hear flew in the face of the narrative I was hearing from people who pushed back against the idea of financial independence, saying, oh, that sounds nice and that's great if you're a six-figure income engineer, but that's not really for average people or people who have more challenging circumstances. That was never my experience as I met people in the community at Chautauquas and other events. Uh, and it was certainly not the experience of the stories that came in for Pathfinders when I when I put out the request uh, for people to send send stories. I, first of all, I wasn't sure that we'd even get enough stories for a book. Turns out we got more than enough. Turns out they were great. It was, the challenge was how do you how do you pick from such a wonderful uh, group of stories? But uh, yeah, but they, they they it's comes from all over the world. So in all different kinds of backgrounds. I mean, there's a story in there from a guy who was a child migrant laborer. He was picking asparagus as a kid. Now he's well on, on the way to being financially independent. Uh, you know, so it's not for some exclusive high income group, although there's also a story or two from that group as well. It's just an incredibly diverse community of people pursuing this goal and immensely gratifying for me to have heard those stories over the years and now to be able to share them in Pathfinders. We have a stack of Simple Path to Wealth books that we give out to people who express any interest in investing and saving money. I think we need to get a stack of these books too Yes, to hand out to people anytime someone says, oh, I can't do that or that's not possible. Well, this guy is living in a war zone. He's more worried about his life than his money and he's doing it. Uh, I wonder, now that we have J.L. Collins, author of Simple Path and Pathfinders, which book would you give somebody who is new, has never 
been good with money in air quotes, doesn't know anything about money, would you give them Pathfinders first so they can see like kind of testimonials or would you give them the simple path to wealth first? Yeah, a great question, Mindy. And my thinking on that has actually evolved over the last couple of months since Pathfinders came out. So my first thought about that was, you know, do you have to read Simple Path to Wealth first before you read Pathfinders? And that was a pretty easy answer. But no, you don't. You can read either book first and, and they stand alone and they will both make sense. But the more I reflected on it, the more I've come to the conclusion that Pathfinders is actually probably the better introductory book. Now, we're talking about somebody who is new to the concept of pursuing financial independence, isn't quite sure what it means, maybe has a lot of doubts as to whether it's even possible. I think, you know, you read Pathfinders and you're going to read a hundred stories of people doing it from all different circumstances. So you are certainly going to know that it's possible by the end of it. And then, as I mentioned, at the beginning of each of the nine sections uh, and in the introduction, you know, I talk about the principles that the stories reflect. So it's, it's almost a little taste of what's in the simple path to wealth from that regard. So my mindset now is, if you have somebody who's a little bit interested, but pretty new to it, I think Pathfinders is the first book. And then if the stories and what can be accomplished resonate uh, with them that they read in Pathfinders, then Simple Path to Wealth is kind of the manual about, okay, exactly how do you do this? You know, how do you actually build your wealth? So that's how I've come to think of it. Yeah, I'm starting to think that we should give Pathfinders first with a little sticky note, like towards the end of the book. Hey, if you like this, reach back out to us and we'll give you a copy of The Simple Path of Wealth. Because then if they don't read it, they're not going to get right. to that sticky note. And then we could just go over to their house. If they never ask for The Simple Path to Wealth, we'll just go over and take the book back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. I, I love that you give give my books away. Well, we buy them. Well, I, I, love, I love that part of it, too. I, I, just, I just hope the people you give them to actually read them and benefit from Me them. Too. Yeah, yeah, we don't give them to everybody that we come across, but we do give them out quite a bit because it's the simple path to wealth. Pretty good title, JL. You know, it, it's it, it, there's a little interesting tidbit on that, too. When I was writing The Simple Path to Wealth, and I wanted a working title, that's that's what popped into my head. And that was my, I never liked it. And I always, in the back of my mind, as I was writing the book, which took three years, by the way, I always figured at some point, I'll come up with something better. And I never did. And when it came time to publish it, I was, I'm kind of stuck with this, this title that I, I don't really like that much. Well, turns out I was wrong. I mean, I was certainly right about pizza in our last interview, but in terms of the, <laughs> of the simple path to wealth, it, it turns out I was wrong. It is it is the perfect title for it. I guess I just didn't recognize it at the time. We have a conversation with Brad Barrett coming up soon, and what we're going to talk about is 
kind of the reason I think we give away these books. And that reason is you don't have to want to retire early. You don't even have to want to be financially independent. But if you can just get your money right and put a little bit away and get that ball rolling, you're going to drastically improve your life. Even if you're like your your daughter, JL, and have no interest in any of this, if you could just do a couple small tweaks, especially when you're young, and that's who we typically give these books to, their, their college graduation presents for a lot of my cousins. If you can just do a couple simple things, your life is going to be so much better and you never have to pay attention to it again. Just do some small tweaks early on and that's it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Carl. You just, you you get a couple of, understand a couple of simple basic concepts, which is what the Simple Bath Wealth is all about, and then implement them. And then, you know, counterintuitively, when it comes to investing, if you get those simple concepts right and you implement them, then the less you do, the better. You know, there's probably nothing else in, in life that that's true of, but the less effort you put in, once you get those simple, basic things understood and implemented, the less you do, the better your results will be over time. So it is, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly powerful. In a past life, I worked at a company that sold a variety of books. And one of the books that we sold was called Set It and Forget It. And it wasn't mm. about investing. It was about crockpot cooking. <laughs> but every time I think about your like mindset towards investing, I am reminded of the Crock-Pot book, Set It and Forget It. It's You set your investing and then you don't think about it anymore. And I think that that is what makes it resonate so much with people who don't want to think about their investing and don't want to think about their money. They're like, I did it and now I don't have to think about it anymore. I also think that's the hard part because nothing good is supposed to be easy if you want to become a pilot and engineer it's lots of school. But this, as you alluded to, Jail, is the exact opposite. Well, see, part of it, part of the reason that feels like the hard part to you is because you're interested in this investing stuff, right? So one of the things that I've learned in writing the blog, and again, I, just like I wrote The Simple Path to Wealth and now Pathfinders for my daughter and people like her, that's who I wrote the blog for. But I really have two audiences. I have part of my audience are people like my daughter who know this is important, but they really don't want to live and breathe it. But because it's a financial blog and these are financial books, I also have people who are really into this stuff. And those are the people who are always reaching out to me and saying, oh, you know, JL, the simple path is it's great and it's wonderful. And that's what most people should do. But if you just tinkered with it a little bit in this way or that way, it would be better. And, and I, it's okay. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. And I know there are a lot of people who take my basic philosophy and tinker with it. And it's your money. You can do whatever you want. But I would be willing to make a bet. And that is that my daughter, who doesn't tinker with it, will perform better over the decades than the people who do. And that's her superpower. That's the superpower of people like her is because they're really not interested in this, they are not going to be tempted, A, to tinker with the formula, and B, when the market crashes and all the people who are into this stuff and paying close attention to it and watching the TV are in a panic mode, she's not even going to notice. So she's not going to be tempted to panic and sell. 
right? She's just going to keep putting her investments in, which is exactly what you should do. So there's no doubt in my mind that if you take somebody like my daughter, who's going to set it up and not tinker, and you put them up against somebody who's saying, oh, JL, it's great, but, you know, I'm going to modify it this way. And, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure who's going to get the better result after 20, 30, 40 years. Supposedly, dead people are the best investors, right? Yeah, that, 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 I think that story is an urban myth, but it's a great one that Fidelity supposedly did research to figure that out. And it turns out the people that in the, of their fund investors that, that had the best results were dead people. And the second best performing group, by the way, was people who forgot they had the account. <laughs> Jack Bogle once famously said, don't just do something, stand there. I love that quote. So, so I have a confession for you, JL. We love you so much that we actually wrote this outline. And this is true. We wrote it last week on a cruise boat. It was the 15th level of the cruise boat, the observation lounge. We were watching the Mexican Riviera go by, but we felt it was so important to talk to you that we took time out of our cruise to write this outline and to prepare for this interview. So about half of that is true. We really did write this outline on the cruise boat, but and we do love you. That part is true too. But we did it because we love work. I could never picture my life without work. I started to feel myself slipping into a little, I don't want to say depression, but a melancholy mood because I didn't have work in this cruise. So I'm like, let's break out our laptops and go into this. And you talk a lot about this in the book too, how you never want to stop working, right? Am I quoting you correctly there? Yeah, you you are. I mean, you know, back in maybe 2012, somewhere around there when my blog was fairly new and, and Mr. Money Mustache, who he started, Mr. Money Mustache started about within a month of when I started my blog. And, and he was nice enough to ask me to do a guest post on his blog because I was older and I, I'd been through a lot of the things that he, he was talking about. And he wanted that perspective. And the title of that guest post is, it's, it was never about retirement or it's never been about retirement. I just, I, first of all, I, I didn't even have the mindset that early retirement was a thing. But even if I did, I, I liked my career. I just didn't want to do it all the time. Like we talked about in the last episode, I wanted to be able to step away from it. And that's what having FU money, which is not in my mind, enough money to fully retire, but it's enough to allow you to make bolder decisions, like taking a sabbatical when you want. But I've, I've always liked working and I still like working. And, you know, I, I like leisure time, but you know, the, the truth is I probably would prefer working. When I was doing Chautauquas is a great example. And Chautauqua is a beautiful blend of, of travel to a cool place, hang out with cool people and talk about cool stuff. Well, the additional benefit for me is it was also work. So I got to do all those things, but it was, it was also work, which made it all the more satisfying as opposed to just, I could have easily afforded to travel to those cool places. And in fact, I did just as a tourist, just as a, you know, a leisure trip, but it was more fun and more satisfying because it was involved in running a Chautauqua. There's a famous quote I like. I think it was George Bernard Shaw. I think he was a playwright once said, 
the ultimate definition of hell for me is a permanent vacation. And I, I completely agree with that. Not having any purpose or meaning or work that elevates you would be horrible. Yeah, you know, I don't know anybody in this community personally, and I'm sure there are some people, but who achieved financial independence and retired in the sense that they they quit their day job, so to speak, and then just went and sat on a beach. I mean, I've, I've met a lot of people who, who are full-time nomads, but even those folks uh, find creative, productive things to do. I mean, Christy and Bryce of Millennial Revolution, great example. They're full-time nomads, but, you know, they were writing a blog and books and you know, I think people who are energetic and creative and smart enough to become financially independent are not going to sit around doing nothing. And I think that's great. And that's one of the reasons that while the FIRE acronym is kind of cool, I mean, it's very creative, but I've never personally cared about the RE part of it, which is the retire early part of it. And I think that also, you know, creates a lot of angst with what Mr. Money Mustache calls the internet retirement police, you know, like you're not actually retired because you're doing something productive. Well, okay. May, all right. I don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's time to redefine what work means just because you don't have a W2 job doesn't mean you're not doing something productive. You were saying just a moment ago, Carl, that you can't imagine yourself not having work to do. And my first thought was, oh, yes, as the retiree. But, <laughs> you know, that that doesn't mean that you have to do a job. Like, I also can't imagine you going back to work. Yes, and it's different. I'm defining what my work is. My work might be going to the gym. It might be working on an internet site or the blog. It's working on this podcast right now, but I'm doing it because I want to do it. It may or may not make money, and I'm not doing it for 40 hours a week. I can't think of anything I'd want to do for that amount of time. And we can do it when we want. So we're still doing work, but we're defining the rules around work, which I think changes everything. There's yeah. a difference between having to work and doing it voluntarily. Well, I think the key is autonomy. So when you become financially independent, you don't have to quit your, your corporate job or your day job or whatever it is. But you can, and that makes all the difference. And for what you're doing and for what I'm doing, I mean, we're still working. I'm In some ways, I probably work harder than I ever have. But I have full autonomy as to when I do that and what I do and, and how I choose to do it. And I think that's what makes a difference. You know, you look around at, at really wealthy people, and for the most part, they all work. I mean, you know, Elon Musk certainly doesn't have to worry about paying the rent, but he, he probably works harder than most people. You know, Jeff Bezos, you know, these, these because if you have autonomy and you're doing work that you want to do, then it's a whole different thing than if you're going to a job just to earn a paycheck because you got to pay the bills and you're doing something that you really don't particularly care about. Or maybe you even do care about it, but you don't have very much autonomy as to how you get it done. That's what people don't like. That's certainly when I would quit jobs to take these sabbaticals, that's usually what we, what drove me out of the job was not that I didn't like the work, but I didn't like the lack of autonomy and how I did it. 
So one final comment on this. If you have to work, if you need money and have a job, you're letting money define you because you have to go to this job and you have to perform this service for money. But once you're FI, it's the opposite. You define money. You define what money means to you and if you want to earn it or not. So the question is, would you rather be defined by money or would you rather define money? And I think the latter is a much more fun and maybe better is the wrong word, but it's a good way to live. Well, it's, yeah, but that's well said. And it's another way of looking at it is, is, is money your servant or is it your master? If you're financially independent, you really don't have to worry about money. You really don't have to think about money all that much. If at least if you're following the simple path to wealth, you've got that on, on autopilot. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you got to be thinking about money all the time. And mostly around, you know, how do I scrape up the money to pay for this car repair? Or how do I scrape up the money to to buy, you know, more groceries? I mean, that, that's that got to be a terrible way to live. And, and that's where money is, is your master rather than the other one, than, rather than your servant. JL, I think it's been super interesting to see FIRE evolve because when I first discovered it way back in 2012, it was pretty much a bunch of people who look like me. It was tech dudes who programmed computers, who were engineers, who were very frugal, and who just did some math and retired early. But now I, I think it's super cool because it's much more diverse in both the way people are earning money and also what they're doing with their lives. It's, it's gotten tremendously, I'll say better because it wasn't so good when it was just a bunch of people who look like me with beards programming computers. But one of the things I liked about Pathfinders was the tremendous diversity of people in there too, these people from all walks of life contributing. What did you learn from them or was there anything that stood out or surprised you? You know, I, I, there, I there wasn't anything that surprised me because again, since 2016, when the Simple Path to Wealth came out, I've been hearing these kinds of stories. And to be honest, my experience of the FI community from very early on was that it is incredibly diverse. I remember the first Chautauqua, which is in 2013. And of course, I, I had no idea who was going to come. I was stunned by the diversity of the people who showed up. And, you know, we only had about 25 because part of the, the magic of Chautauqua was limiting the size of, of the group that came. But the ver diversity was stunning. And I mean, on every level of human diversity you can think of. So certainly there was diversity in terms of, of income levels and, and how far along towards being financially independent people were from somewhere at the very beginning, some were extremely wealthy, but there was racial diversity, there was age diversity, there was gender diversity, there was diversity of country people. Most of the people who came candidly were Americans, but people came from all over the world. There was diversity in religion. And it was just striking to me how diverse it was. And then everybody got along so well. In fact, as I went around towards the end of the event and and I could tell people were having a great time and it was it was working really well. And I would ask them, you know, what's your favorite part of this? I was, of course, hoping they'd say, oh, JL, it was your talk. Not one person said that. What, every, 
what every single person said without exception, and this was asked separately, individual conversations, was it was getting to meet the other people. They'd say things like, you know, back back at home, there's nobody who thinks the way I do. There's nobody who understands what I'm doing. I come to, to this event and everybody here gets it. I don't have to explain myself. And again, you know, these are people who could not be more different from each other on all kinds of other measures. And yet there was this thing that drew them together and, and created this incredible bond. And, you know, I did Chautauquas for a decade. And, and so I probably 17, 18, 18 of them, it was the same thing over and over again that you would see and friendships formed. People started businesses together, you know, it was just, so for me, the community always felt very diverse. And I, I didn't know that when I was putting the first Chautauqua together, but after I saw that and I was promoting the subsequent Chautauquas, I would make a point of saying how diverse it was because I, I wanted to people to know that it didn't matter where they came from or what color they were or what their sexual orientation was or where they were on the journey that, you know, this was a place that they'd be comfortable at because it was one of the things that was most unexpected about Shadok was one of the things that I, that I personally enjoyed the most. Some of our greatest friends came from Chautauquas. Dan and Cindy were babysitting their Olga the Van, who you know too, JL. <laughs> Great couple. I mean, they're friends of mine too, also came from Chautauqua. Yeah, they're really good friends of ours, and they'll be lifelong friends. Appreciated so much. I just stayed with Jason and Shana, some of our other friends from Chautauqua. I never met Another them. mutual friends that we have. Yeah, yeah wonderful so folks. This would be the best commercial for Chautauqua ever. <laughs> Unfortunately, Chautauqua's on permanent hiatus. Yeah, Chautauqua's are, are over, and, and I'm sad about that too. But, you know, all good things have, have their moment. And, and uh, I feel bad about that for the people who didn't get to come and also selfishly for myself because it was uh, always was a highlight of my year. Before we close and tie things up here, what surprised you from Pathfinders? Were there any stories or anything that made you consider money or life differently from a Pathfinder story? So I don't know that this surprised me because, again, I'd, I'd been hearing the stories like this from the time Simple Path Wealth came out in 2016. But what was gratifying was that it rein, reinforced how achievable this is almost no matter where you are in your life or where in the world you are or what obstacles you're you're starting from because you're going to read pathfinders and you're going to you're going to read stories of people who started from all different beginnings including some that were that are amazingly modest you know i mentioned the 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 guy who was uh, picking asparagus as a migrant, you know, when he was a kid there, you know, there's a story in there from someone who talks about how when they were growing up, the rich people were the ones who had flush toilets. Uh, so it's just incredible. And it, to me, it's, it's, a, it, it is a great response to the people who say it can't be done or it can only be done by a select group of people because that's simply not true. And by the way, to be clear, it's not like 
I just pulled those stories from the ones that were sent. I mean, we made a great effort to, to have quite a range of stories. If anyone is looking for inspiration or thinks they can't do it, I think this is uh, the perfect place to start. After reading some of these stories, you can't really make an excuse unless you live in North Korea or some even worse situation. I'd almost be willing to bet there's somebody in North Korea who's doing this. Uh, now, to be clear, we don't have any stories from North Korea, but... <laughs> <laughs> that that would be very, very interesting. Someone escapes and eventually contacts you. Or they got their hand, simple path to wealth or these books would never be allowed in that country, but they got their hands on a pirate version, escaped the country and emailed you eventually. That would be incredible. Well, if, if anybody listening fits that profile, I'd love to hear from them. Okay, so... JL, you've been a blogger at jlcollinsnh.com for a decade or more. I, I think it's more, actually. 2011? 2011. The spring of 2011. June 2011 is when it started. A baker's decade then. And you have written three books, The Simple Path to Wealth, Pathfinders, and How I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was Cool. Fashionable. Before it was fashionable. Before yeah. it was fashionable. What is next for you? Well, right now, of course, I'm I'm doing the book tour, so to speak, for for Pathfinders, and that's kept me busier than I would prefer to be. So, what's next for me in the immediate future is a little bit of rest. Uh, you know, I I like I say, I like to take sabbatical. I love working, but I also like not working, and so I'm hoping a little not work is in my immediate future. I'm also kind of toying with the idea of of trying my hand at fiction, you know, so I've always, I, I love reading and, and I love reading fiction and, and <laughs> I'm impressed with, as a writer myself, it's, it's interesting to read how, how people pull things together when they're, when they're writing books, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. And I've always wondered, I, it seems to me that writing fiction is a lot more challenging than writing nonfiction. I don't know if that's true universally, but it, it feels like it would be true for me. So I've taken stabs at it. I've never been particularly happy with the result, but I think maybe that might be my next writing project. I remember when J.L. Collins and H. had your fiction piece on there, Uranium 238. Is that something like that, right? Well, actually, that's a separate blog. I, I, I started a, uh, a blog called Uranium C. And uh, which is still out there if people want to want to dig it up, and uh, you know that that tells the story about why Earth hasn't been overrun by alien invaders, and uh, kind of a kind of a interesting side note to that when when I was doing that more actively, I got busy and and also you know it's a tough story to tell because there's so much skepticism about it and. But anyway, they, there was a Reddit thread that cropped up and that somebody started by saying, you know, I've, I've read the, I read JL's blog and I've read The Simple Path to Wealth and, and I've always been impressed with his investment advice. But now I've come across this uranium C thing and this guy is clearly out of his mind. He's delusional. <laughs> and I'm wondering if I can trust his financial advice. And, and then it became a whole conversation about 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 whether I was delusional and if I was was the financial advice still any good and and what have you and you know 
So I, I, I don't know if that's the direction I'm going to go or not. I don't know if I'll, I'll pick that up again, but, but that's not necessarily fiction. So that's a little bit different. Well, fiction, you can be delusional. I support your fiction decision. I think that's all. We don't have a controversial question like the last episode where we talked about pizza. Do you have any controversial questions for JL? I know I'm putting you on the spot here. You know, he broke my heart with his pizza answer. He said, for those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode, he said thin crust over deep dish. So, of course, as you know, he's wrong. He's right about his financial advice. Even though he's wrong about his pizza choices, he is still right about his financial advice. That is something that I will always stick with. You can listen to him for his finance opinion. All right-thinking listeners, of course, immediately know that I'm right on both counts. (laughs) (laughs) Jail, what's your thought on pineapple on pizza? I've never tried it, and it seems like something that's very unappealing. But, you know, I mean, if people are willing to eat deep deep dish, who knows the depths of the fat which they go. Well, it's 10 degrees here in Colorado, Joe. We're going to fly down to Florida after this call. On our way to your place, we'll pick up a deep dish pizza, a thin crust pizza, and half of each will have pineapple. No, it will not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell You are are welcome to come and and, uh, visit anytime. We'd love to have you and and eat, eat correct pizza with you. (laughs) <laughs> okay, JL, where can people find you online, not your address? Where can people find you? So the blog is probably the best place to start. It's jlcollinsnh.com, as you've mentioned. And then from there, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. And and uh, also on the blog, I, I have a, there's a page at the top called uh, Interviews. And when you publish these interviews, I'll add that. You know, I had, I try to keep a list of all the interviews I've done if anybody listens to this and wants to hear more. Oh, thanks. Okay, next week, we are speaking with Diana Merriam and talking about the concept of community. JL Collins had the Chautauquas and you unfortunately are not able to go to Chautauquas anymore, but Diana has created a conference called Economy. It takes place in Cincinnati. In March, do not let that stop you from going because while the weather isn't always ideal, the conversation and the community there is absolutely. Okay, and I'm sorry, I've got one final question. Jill, you lived in Ohio, right? I did for 18 years. This is another very controversial food topic, and it might lead oh, to God. a separation between Mindy and I. What are your thoughts on Cincinnati chili? Have you had that before? Well, I lived in Cleveland, so no, I haven't had Cincinnati chili. Oh, no Skyline chili, like nutmeg chili? Okay, well, I'll send yeah. you some in the mail. Oh, well, I, I, I would appreciate it. I, I, lo- I love chili. Well, it's- this is not chili. This is <laughs> pumpkin spice chili. Oh, okay. Well, you know, deep dish isn't pizza either, but I've tried it. <laughs> well, if Jay Oliver makes it to Economy or Cincinnati, we will meet up for a dish of Skyline Chili. You and Carl, not me. I'm not eating that. I thought you were, and I'm expecting you to send it to me too. 
Yes. Yeah, we can get canned versions. It's not as good as the real thing. We'll have to tell you how to prepare yeah. it. The real thing isn't good either, so don't worry about it. <laughs> cool. Okay. JL Collins, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a super fun conversation. I've I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's always it's always great hanging out with you guys, whether we're recording it or not. So thank you for having me and the invitation. Good luck with the new podcast and uh I'll be back anytime you'll have me. Yeah, I can't wait to do it in person. And uh, yeah, I guess you can hit stop recordings. One last question, then I'm going to let you go. Did you include the asparagus farmer story because of Carl and Doug's Mile High Five podcast? No. I not even think of what the connection is. Asparagus yeah. pea. You'll find out soon. Oh, asparagus pea. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I should have guessed that that would be the connection Carl would have with asparagus <laughs> All of a sudden, JL doesn't want to be on the podcast so much anymore. You can, we're going to launch a PCAST soon as well. Oh, stop. <laughs> and I kept that all recording. You can use that on your other show if you'd like. Okay, okay now I'm going to hit stop. Maybe.